You're listening to RE Snapshots. Each fortnight we chat about the science behind the weeds, tackling herbicide resistance and bringing you the latest information with experts in the field. The RE Snapshots podcast today, we're chatting with Dr. Catherine O'Sullivan. She's a CSIRO research scientist and recently has put out a paper entitled Biological Nitrification Inhibition by Weeds, Wild Radish, Blown Grass, Wild Oats and Annual Ryegrass Decrease Nitrification Rates in Their Rhizophyres. How are you, Catherine? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm really good. Now, this is a really interesting paper. Can you just initially give us a bit of an overview of what you were looking for here? Sure. So we got interested in nitrification inhibition because many years ago, Ian Fillery, who was my supervisor when I did this work, was looking at nitrogen budgets in the dryland cropping region in Western Australia. And he noticed that the nitrogen use efficiency of crops like wheat and canola was quite low. Of the fertilisers that growers applied, usually in reduced forms like urea and ammonia, the plants only accessed quite a low percentage in the order of 30 to 50%. And a big portion of what was lost was actually lost because there's a microbial process that converts ammonium to nitrate, which happens reasonably efficiently in a lot of Western Australian soils. And once the nitrogen is in the nitrate form, then it's highly soluble and it tends to move with the water. So it just gets leached out of the root zone and the plants can't access it. So there are chemical nitrification inhibitors which stop that microbial process and hold the nitrogen in the form of ammonia and that allows it to stay in the upper root zone where it will stick to soil particles for longer and give plants longer to access it. But those chemical inhibitors come at a cost and some work came out of Japan from a group led by Gunter Subarau who did a lot of work with a tropical pasture grass called Brachiaria humidicola and they showed that this grass actually exudes compounds from its roots that stop that or, or at least very much slow down that microbial conversion of ammonium to nitrate. We became interested in that process as a way of plants competing with soil microbes to access nitrogen resources. This paper is really an extension of that work. So we chose a selection of the weeds that are described by growers as being problematic within the Western Australian wheat belt at the moment. This was really just a first pass to see whether any of those weeds are releasing root exudates that can stop that microbial process of converting ammonium to nitrate. And our hypothesis is that if that is happening and plants are manipulating these processes, then it might be giving the weeds a competitive advantage over crops because they may be able to hold nitrogen in their root zone and access it more efficiently. And it may give us a way of manipulating the system so that we can favour the crops over the weeds. Yeah, so can you talk a little bit more about that alteration of the end cycle and and what you found in this study? Have, is there any advice that you can put forward to farmers yet or are you still in those early stages? Look, it's still really early on. There is one nice example in the US we talked through in the discussion where they had a native grass which takes up ammonium preferentially over, over nitrate. So if they can hold the nitrogen in the ammonium form, then that native grass can outcompete the weeds that come into the system because it has the ability to hold the nitrogen in a form that it can access close in its root zone. So our thinking is that 
the example we're giving is really the flip side of that. So these weeds, particularly wild radish, released root exudates that really strongly inhibited that conversion of ammonium to nitrate. So that, in theory, is giving that wild radish a really strong competitive advantage in environments that are highly leaching for nitrogen because it can hold on to that nitrogen resource better than the, the crops surrounding it. What we don't know yet is how we can manipulate that relationship. Really, this paper just proves that these weeds have this ability and they all had it to some degree, but the wild radish was particularly strong. They have this ability to ma manipulate the nitrogen cycle and we really need to do further work to work out how we can use our understanding to then manipulate the system so that we can favour the crop over the weeds. Definitely. So is there some scope there to do follow-up studies in this area? At the moment, we aren't doing follow-up studies at this exact time, but there is interest from quite a few other groups around the world. So there's groups working in New Zealand on similar, similar concepts, often from the crop side. So they're looking for crops that can manipulate the nitrogen cycle. Certainly the work in Japan is still ongoing. So yeah, it's something that it would be nice to see more focus put on the weed side of this story because at the moment a lot of the focus is going into the crops and the weeds are just a really almost an interesting side note at the moment. So it would be nice to see some more attention put there. Yes, definitely. And is there any other aspects of this study which you would like to expand upon which might be of interest to those listening at home? I guess the other interesting point that we would really like to explore further is that these sorts of interactions between plants and soil microbes can have some really interesting follow-on effects. So one of the things is that if ammonia is being held in the upper soil layers for longer, what you can see is an increase in the microbial organic nitrogen pool. And that can then form almost a nitrogen storage system because later on when those microbes die, that nitrogen can be remobilized, remineralized back to ammonium and taken up by the plant again. So it's really quite a complex system with a number of steps. And there may be other ways that we can manipulate the system to allow farmers to store nitrogen in their upper layers of soil by manipulating the soil microbial community. And that may be done by the types of crops that they plant, which farmers are doing every year by planting legumes. And it might be done by manipulating the interactions between crops and weeds or, uh, yeah, and it might be done by changing the form of nitrogen that farmers apply. So, for example, if you know you have a, a wild radish problem, for example, in your crop, probably you might move towards a, uh, a different form of nitrogen rather than ammonium, for right. example. Yeah. I mean, those, those thoughts all need to be tested, but those are the sorts of things that we're thinking. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, yeah, hopefully we can get some follow-up work done on this area because I'm sure lots of people at home are really interested to know some of those results that would obviously help their on-farm decision-making process, whether they're a farmer or an agronomist. So, yeah, thank you very much for explaining it, yeah. Catherine. No problem. Thanks for your interest.